three, two, one. Hello and welcome everyone to the No Outlet Podcast. And tonight, folks, you guessed it. Tonight we have another first, a big show. We love comedy here at the No Outlet Podcast. We love it in all styles. And tonight's guest is helping to bring comedy to as many people as possible. And you got to love that. He's an up-and-coming comedian himself, and he also has a production company that brings comedy shows to the New England area. In that capacity, he has worked with and booked many regional sensations with an overall goal of highlighting the immense comedic talent that New England has to offer. In coordination with Mark Mokia Comedy, Aaron Feely, and Blend Comedy, they are presenting the first ever Seacoast Comedy Festival in June of this year. This festival is designed to highlight comedians right in New England. They focus on elevating local up-and-coming comedians and help to showcase everything the Seacoast has to offer, which is quite a bit. They have shows all over the place every week. We're going to learn all about that and so much more. So without any further ado, please give a warm, no-outlet welcome to Stefan Francisconi. <laughs> Francisconi. Did I say that right? I don't think I did. Uh, you're close enough. It's Francisconi, but Ethan, thank you very much for the kind intro. I, um, I should hire you for my writing. <laughs> well, if, if we're being honest, I plagiarized most of that from a very uh, knowing source, so I'm not going to take all the credit, but I appreciate that. <laughs> we're excited to have you on the show. We're going to play a game called 20 Questions, and it always starts in the exact same place. So the name of your uh, production company is... Garaputo. Uh, what is a Garaputo? What does it mean? What does it stand for? Yeah, so it, it's funny you ask. Um, so as a child growing up, I, I loved comedy. I, I listened to a bunch of comedy CDs. And uh, there's a, a very fan, now famous comedian that uh, had a whole sketch about a goat. And uh, one of the scenes, they, they reference um, this fat shit Garaputo as a neighborhood childhood uh, kid. And uh, ironically enough, all my friends thought that would be hilarious to, to make my nickname Patrick Garaputo. So here we are. <laughs> You know, 30 years later, owning it and uh, just taking it, taking it to the bank. Uh, now, would that happen to be Adam Sandler? Oh, it would be, absolutely. Yeah, I remember you know, that. You know, that's that shit, Garrett Pugh, at my fucking horn. Oh, my God, that is a riot. So so Adam Sandler, as you and probably everyone listening and the, in the studio audience knows, he's from uh, the Manchester area, went to school in Manchester, and he used to come up to Plymouth State where I went to school and party with the hockey team all the time because all of his high school classmates were there. So uh, we used to hang out with Adam Sandler before he was really big, just on the cusp. Um, I love that backstory. Um, so how did you get into, you know, aside from being given such an amazing nickname at such a impressionable age, how did you get into uh, stand-up comedy and, and comedy as a whole? So it's uh, it's actually kind of a, an interesting story, maybe a little bit dark for some of your listeners, and I and I hope that it doesn't down anybody. It's actually a, a story of of rediscovery, if you sure. will. Um, about five years ago, I got into comedy. My uh, my dad was actually passed away of cancer, which um, you know, unfortunate, but you know, it uh, unfortunately life is what it is. Yeah. And um, you know, going through everything and digging through his stuff and cleaning up the house, I, I I read a bunch of stuff and, and learned a bunch about my dad that I'd never learned before. I was in a, you know, I was, I was married and just not happy and realized that I'd become a lot more introverted. And, and mm. I didn't, I didn't identify with that for whatever the reason. And, um, 
so my solution was, you know what, let's start doing stand-up and put myself out there, get in front of people and, uh, you know, maybe start having people laugh with me instead of at me all the time. And, uh, like here that. we are five years later. <laughs> wow. That's really cool. Yeah. I mean, uh, I'm sorry to hear about your father. I lost my father to cancer as well. So I know what that's like, but, um, you know, out of everything that might be a challenge or a not so great thing comes something on the opposite side of the balance sheet that you can make something, uh, good out of. Um, and, and that's great. So, you know, getting into comedy by itself, uh, that's that's definitely putting yourself out there. It's you're up there with a microphone in front of an audience full of people that probably would much rather talk about how you weren't any good than how you were good. That's challenging by itself. But then going out there and saying, all right, on top of that, I'm going to promote other comedians who have a similar dream. What made you want to make that leap? Because not everyone's doing that. Yeah. So, I mean, for me, I'm all about, you know, bringing people along with me and, and I, I really appreciate all the talent that's in New England and I've had some phenomenal mentors on the comedic world and, um, and over the five years I've met so many great people and my, my big goal, especially with, you know, Garaputa Comedy and, and producing the shows that I produce is I want to highlight the up and coming talent, give, give people a chance to get out there and make people laugh and, sure. you know, I enjoy doing it, but let's face it, there's other people that are better out there. If I can work with those people, it makes me a better person, it gives them a better opportunity. And just, it makes a great show for the audience. And that's, at the end of the day, that's my game, is, is to make people laugh, to have a great audience, and just put on a great show. That and is, that requires working with great comedians. Yeah, what a great attitude. You know, and, and so I, I spent a lot of time in corporate America, and I've managed a lot. And my favorite saying was, the best manager doesn't have the best idea all the time. They just know what the best idea is. And so being able to kind of put yourself aside and just say, what's the best way to bring laughs to people irrespective of what i bring to the table right uh i think that is is really great i love to hear that so obviously the the origin of you getting into comedy wasn't necessarily you particularly seeing a stand-up comedian but what was the first stand-up comedian that you remember seeing live oh god um it's actually really funny i actually don't watch stand-up comedy unless i'm a scout talent um ironic enough um, I will say, obviously, the greats, you know, the Bill Burr's, the uh, um, Adam Sandler's, the, you know, Zach Galifianakis, the, the Burt Kreshner's, like, those guys are phenomenal. And, and I I adore what they do there. They're amazingly talented, and they just, their stage presence is awesome. Right. Um, you know, for, for local comedians, like, I'm a huge fan of, uh, like, Justin Bikini, Paul Nardizzi, sure. um, Frank Santarelli, all those guys, they're great. Um, but I feel like, for me anyways, and I don't want to speak for other comedians, comedy is just, it's a great outlet. And let's face it, it's cheaper than actually going to therapy. <laughs> well, that's for sure. And it's a lot more enjoyable, uh, usually. <laughs> Absolutely. Usually. Um, yeah, usually. You get those dead crowds. <laughs> um, so you, you just brought up a lot of local comedians. And when you think about, you know, comedy in general, but even just narrow it down to people that do or have done stand-up, New England could really be considered kind of a hotbed of talent like where people come from, you know, you mentioned Bill Burr, Adam Sandler, Seth Meyers, Bob Marley, Lenny Clark, Dennis Leary, George. I mean, I can go on and on, right? It's a never ending list. Why do you think that is? Why do you think that there are so many funny people that come from this little nestled nook of the country? Yeah, you know, it's an interesting question because I mean, there's obviously like great comedic places out there. You know, you got New York, you got sure. Chicago, you got LA, you got all those places. But I feel what what sets New England apart from the rest of the country when it comes to comedy is. Yep. There's so much talent here that really to rise above, you know, the the general talent out there, you really got to be good. And 
let's face it, New England, we, we have some very unique things. We have some very unique perspectives on things. And I think a lot of the great comedians that come out of New England, they're telling stories. They're giving perspectives. They're, they're helping people understand how they see things right. in a funny way, of course. And I think that that ultimately is relatable to a lot of people. Um, I, I don't want to use the word woke because, you know, it's not, it's not that, but we're not looking for shock value. We're not looking to, you know, to scream at people and yell at people. I mean, Bill Burr is an angry guy. Don't get me wrong, but he's made a career out of it. Right. Um, you know, but most of the community people on here, they're just, they're everyday guys. They're just making everyday observations. Um, you know, one of my favorites, obviously, is, is Jerry Seinfeld, you know, going back to the 90s. Sure. Um, you know, his whole shtick was, this is just everyday life, and I have a unique perspective on it, and I want to share that with people. And yeah. I feel like that's a lot of what New England comedy is about. Um, it's not shticky. It's, it's just real people telling you real stories and experiences that they have that is just a, it's a weird take on life. Yeah, no, absolutely. Have you heard of uh, Jerry Seinfeld's book, Is This Anything? Have you seen that? I have not. So my brother bought it for me, I think, last Christmas, maybe the Christmas before. And it's basically, he chronicles, I think starting from the 70s, like all the decades of his notes. He's kept notes on every joke idea that he's ever like come up with and kind of thought through. And it's just so amazing the way he gets so granular. He'll take a concept and just break it down to the bare essence. But at the same time, because you could do that and be boring and not funny, right? At the same time that he's breaking it down, he's pointing out the things that, that those beats, those notes that are going to be funny to people. And it's, it's amazing when you look at the process of his body of work and how he has taken everyday life, to your point, and created and crafted this unique approach to comedy it's really something you know and i think that that's a testament to to all comedians out there you know you can say something funny you can tell a funny story but until you break it down and get to the essence of why it's funny and figuring it out and then and then god forbid that you can have the stage presence to be able to deliver it on stage because that's a whole different craft in and of itself that's right um you know that that's that's amazing i gotta tell you when i scout talent um i i'm I'm obviously paying attention to the content, but I'm paying more attention to the body language, the presentation, the cadence, the candor, how they deliver things, because that to me is a sign of a true star. And I've, I've met some phenomenal up and coming comedians. I've, I've met people that have worked on things and then became great. And I've, I've worked with people that are absolutely funny, but just don't necessarily have, have the presence there. And once they get that, you can see it click on stage and it's magic. Yeah. It's absolute magic. And that's what I love about this business. Yeah, no, that's really cool. Um, what are your thoughts on the long overdue act of making karaoke an Olympic event? Well, I mean, obviously it should be like, who are we kidding? I mean, karaoke is an art form in and of itself. And I'm if listening. you look at Japanese or Korean cultures, like, I mean, that's a, that's a go-to thing. Like they don't, they don't go to bars. They go to karaoke and go sing and have a good time. I mean, what is, what a great expression. Of, the crowd you know? loves it. Stefan, you, it. you are, you, you now, now, a friend of the show, just like that. Karaoke is uh, an art form. It does belong in some type of meddled event. And, um, and that's one way to win the crowd over right there is answer a question like that. And I got to tell you, I, I can just stand up in front of anybody. I'm definitely scared of karaoke. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's I don't know why. Yeah. I, like, well, I, like, I get stage fright and I'm like, I can go up in front of, you know, 100, 200 people and tell a joke and not even care if they laugh. But the second there's four people in a bar and I got to sing into a microphone, Man, am I changing my underpants. Yeah, well, it's interesting because if you think about telling a joke, right, and, like, you can tell a joke and it might not land, 
But if it doesn't land, it's not because your voice broke or because you couldn't reach a high note or because you were screaming or because of whatever, right? (laughs) But but if you go up and do karaoke, it's like you can know all the words and you could say them properly, but then there's that one note that you thought you might be able to get and it's just so far out of reach. And then some people take it like super seriously and there are people that are like really good at it and other people just want to have a good time. So I can see how it would uh, strike fear in in, in, in almost anybody for any any of those reasons. (laughs) Um, so what was the last, I know you said you don't watch shows uh, or, or yeah. live comedy necessarily, unless you're scouting talent. So one of my questions here was what was the last live comedian that you saw? So you can go into who you might've been, you know, scouting last, but what was the last show you saw live? So the last live comedian that I went to for, for a show, I mean, is Justin McKinney. He's a good friend of mine. And, and I always support him and check out his shows. It's actually, it's my, my Christmas gift to my family every year. We go and we do dinner and the show and all that stuff and it's fun. But, um, you know, for, for other comedians, I saw, um, uh, oh, what's his name from SNL? See, that's, that's how impressive. Oh, in Portsmouth. <laughs> um, yeah. In Portsmouth. And, and it was a great show, but you know, again, it was, you know, it, it's funny when you see the, the really big names that have gone out of stand up and when they come back in and, and they're fantastic, they're talented, don't get me wrong. Um, but you can tell that, you know, they're, they're more focused on, on writing and skits and stuff like that. Stand-up is kind of its own form of comedy within the genre itself. Um, so I, I got to tell you, man, some of the local comedians here, just they, they really blow, blow my mind at how good they are and the effort they're putting in. Um, I'm not familiar, not sure if you guys are familiar with uh, Dan Donahue. Uh, he and I kind of started coming up around the same time. We've been friends for five years and literally started at the same time. Wow. And um He's, he's now doing theater shows. He's getting booked in feature work. He's traveling all over New England. And he just has this down-to-earth electrician vibe where he just he tells these stories, and he's just a blue-collar, great guy to work with, nice, nicest guy in my world. Yeah. Um, but he's someone to keep an eye on, man. He's, he's up and coming, and I, I would be shocked if he's, he's not making big names for himself in five, ten years. That's amazing. Yeah, I, I saw that same show. I think his name is Michael Longfellow. Is that his name? Uh, no, I saw, uh, uh, Prost. Actually, I also saw, um, what's his name? Uh, the guy was Ari in Entourage. He, oh. he was pretty funny, but. Oh, yeah, yeah. He, uh, you know, he's just kind of like, he kind of like berated the crowd a little bit. Like, what am I doing in Seabrook, New Hampshire? I'm like, all right, well, that's kind of a, it's, it's a little bit of a cheap joke. Everybody does. It always gets a good laugh, but. Right. Wait, where is like, their live know? comedy in Seabrook? Uh, they did it over at the Brook, um, in oh, the, no their new, way. um, venue. Oh, that's cool. um, yeah. I don't know if they have a regular series, but it was their their opening of the venue, and um, he did a good job. He did a great job. Um, that's cool. God knows if I can remember his name now. No, but that's all right. Yeah, Ari the from reason Entourage. why I asked. Oh, well, the guy from Ari from Entourage. His name is Jeremy Piven. Yeah, Jeremy Piven. Thank you. Yeah, um, and then the, the cast member of SNL that played in Portsmouth, Colin Jost. <clears throat> oh, you saw him? Yeah. Amazing. Yeah, I was thinking about the another young guy. Well, how was Colin? Was he good? Uh, he was good. He did a great job. Um, he, you know, he's, he's funny. He, you know, he bounced around a little bit, like, you know, again, he's, you know, he's got, he's got the star power. So, sure. you know, he's telling us a lot about the SNL stuff and the skits that it make it, which are absolutely hilarious. It's a good reason why they didn't make it on the SNL for sure. Right. Right. Um, I mean, he's, he's married to Scarlett Johansson. So that right out of the gate deserves some yeah. kind of recognition. <laughs> um, yeah, right. yeah, so comedy, you mentioned earlier when you were describing how you got into comedy, you had a comedy CD, uh, when I was growing up, I'm a little bit old than you, I had comedy albums, you know, and I feel like, mm-hmm. you know, they used to be so important. Like I'm staring at uh, my studio and up on the wall, there's uh, Bob and Doug McKenzie, the great white North, you know, Steve Martin's albums were like 
Legendary. You know, there was a lot of really important comedy that was put out in album form. And now it seems like, you know, DVDs are, you know, gone. CDs are gone. And now it's all just right to YouTube, right? Do you think YouTube is kind of the place where obviously there's the bigger like Netflix specials, but if you can't get a Netflix deal or someone won't approve the content as is, comedians can take it right to YouTube. Like, do you feel like that's replaced every other way to get your comedy out there? Um, I don't know if it's replaced every other way, but I think it's been an important avenue for comedians because it does kind of circumvent the whole publisher and producer and agent and all that stuff where you're able to record a special, a 30, 45 minute special right. without having that, all those hoops to jump through and putting your content out there. And the nice thing about doing a special like that is then you're able to, you know, you're cut it and market it and, and get more traction. And once people see that, then it gets you more gigs because the hardest thing out there right now is to get your name out there because there's so much comedy, especially on the Seacoast, that YouTube allows a lot of self-promotion, which is phenomenal for comedians because right. it's a very low cost to entry into the market and it gives you an opportunity to share your voice with, with a broad audience that isn't necessarily just hyper-local or even local. It's global. Right. Absolutely. So we, we talked about at the beginning of the show uh, – the Seacoast Comedy Festival. And I got to tell you, that sounds yes. exciting to me. What can you tell us about it? When does it happen? Where does it happen? How do people find out more about it? Awesome. Yeah, so um, this is the brainchild of, uh, of one of my really good friends who's also a producer, Erin Feely, out of Dover, New Hampshire. And um, her her whole mission is she reached out to Mark Motion, myself, and and Blend603, uh, which is run by Jenny Gonzalez, Geneva Gonzalez. And um, the whole concept was, listen, let's, let's do a month-long event. We're going to brand it as Seacoast. We're going to throw the logo up there. And let's just highlight the community's talent. Let's, let's give an opportunity for us all to centralize our marketing, get this comedy stuff out there, and show people that the Seacoast has an amazing comedy scene. So it's a, it's a collaboration of four different producers, and we all have a bunch of rooms all over the place. So all of our rooms are running under this banner for the month of June. And it's culminating with um, the Dover 400 Humdinger. Um, so Dover celebrated their 400th birthday. And Aaron's put together this phenomenal show with Frank Santorelli headlining. Uh, Amy T is going to be there mm-hmm. um, at Indover. Um, it's the Humdinger. You can check it out. It's on Eventbrite. Um, SeacoastComedyFest.com is the website that's got all the details for all the shows that are being associated with this. And, and again, the idea is just to highlight the local talent and the, the local comedians that really are up and coming. And I, I mean, I really see a lot of the next generation of comedians out there coming out of this area and it's, yeah. it's absolutely amazing i traveled down to nashville last week and, and some open mics and some shows down there yep um fortunately as part of some other things that i was doing and um i was i was thoroughly impressed with how good the talent was there but comparing it to new england it was you know you might have 20 people on an open mic and four were great Yep. Up here, you go to an open mic, and at least half the talent is amazing, just yeah. looking for a good break, working through material, trying to figure things out. And I think that's a testament to the New England area and the, the competitiveness of the comedians up here. And it's a healthy competition. We're all friends. But we're all, we're all trying to get better, and we're trying to tighten things up and rewrite, rewrite, practice, rewrite, practice, rewrite. And, I mean, everything, you know, everything comes down to practice, let's face it. You're not going to be great if you don't practice. And I, I feel like New England comedians really get that. Right, and that's a that's a testament to the culture that you know New England has been brought up in, where we're constantly trying to improve, we're trans- constantly trying to get better. That's true. And I think that shows in in the comedy that's that's coming out of this area. Yeah, I love that. That's a uh, that's one hundred percent true in terms of New England's work ethic. 
So when it comes to writing, right? So do you write all your own material? Do you write for other comedians? How do you feel about the writing process? Like, cause some, some comedians will only perform what they write. That's it. They won't work with anybody else. And then other people, it's almost the exact opposite where most of their work is, is done with someone that they collaborate with, you know, how, how what's your process and, and what are your thoughts on all that? Yeah, so I mean, when it comes to writing, um, I do write all my own material. Um, you know, I collaborate with some comedians that will help me out with some punchlines and, you know, tagging stuff up, bouncing stuff off, and like, hey, have you tried it this way? Have you tried it that way? Um, but all my material in the comedians that I work with, we write all of our own material. And I think that's important for me just because it's, I can deliver that. I can, I can deliver something that I've experienced, that I felt, that I thought of. Again, it's my perspective on the world versus somebody else writing something for me and then trying to deliver it. I can't tell you how many of my friends have tried to give me jokes. I'm like, that's a great joke. You should go on stage and try to tell it, but I can't tell it because I don't have the same feeling and passion yeah, yeah, yeah. that you have for it. Um, that being said, the guys who are, you know, that have writers and everything like that, I understand that as well. They're trying to turn material so much yep. that it's, it's hard. I mean, in in five years that I've been doing comedy, I have 20 solid minutes of material. Sure. You know, and, and, and I mean, I have more material, but it's not solid. It's not something I'd go sit in a theater and then pitch to people like, Right, uh, it needs tightening. It needs working, and that's that's the hard part about comedy. Is it's really getting that tight, tight fifteen, tight twenty. You know, you hear about on Mrs. Basil all the time uh, on Amazon. Um, so it's 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 a difficult process, but it's a fun process at the same time because you try something, you might get thirty seconds out of a five minute bit that's actually usable, or you might do a ten minute bit and you get a minute out of it, and you put together those minutes, and eventually, you know, you build up that repertoire. And, uh, and like I said, I'm not kind of focused. 20 minutes after five years and still working on another 20 that sure. it's, just, it's there, but it's, it's not tight. It's not, it's not ready for public consumption, if you will. Yep. No, I love what you said about somebody who, who wrote it, came up with it. It's going to be somebody hard for somebody else to, you know, portray that same emotion when they're telling the joke. What are your thoughts on prop comics? Uh, I'm, I'm like 50, 50 on prop comics. I think, you know, there's, there's some that do it well. There's some that it's just, it's gimmicky. Yep. Um, I, you know, again, if someone can deliver something well, if they have the right stage presence, they can make anything funny. Like at the end of the day, anything can be funny when delivered correctly. Um, right, right. I, I, I kind of look at prop comedy a lot like I look at dirty comedy. If you're just doing it to get the shock value and get the shock laugh, eh, right? Okay. Go, go smash a watermelon. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, you know, it, it can be funny. Don't get me wrong. Like, you know, he made a career out of it. But yeah. I remember but at the same time, he made a career out of it. But even, I mean. Before my, you know, my, my sense of humor was fully formed, I remember thinking to myself, watching Gallagher on TV, my uncle just thinking it was the best thing in the whole world, and just wondering, like, is this really all it takes? To, 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 is this all you have to do is just smash watermelons? Like, that's the, that's the punchline. And, and I'm, and I'm yeah. short-selling him a little bit because he did have actual material. But when you thought of Gallagher, you always thought he's going to smash watermelons. And that was what he was ultimately known for. And to me, it's just kind of a cop-out. I, I, I 100% agree. And that's, that's kind of what I try to avoid. I mean, I I know that, like, sticks make people famous. Let's, let's face it. Larry the Cable Guy is a perfect example of it. Right, you know, that, right. was, that was a shtick, and he did a great job. And he went on tour for, what, five, ten years and had the whole, you know, blue-collar comedy tour and all that stuff. And it was great. And yeah. he made millions of dollars doing it. And he was very funny. He delivered it well. So when he first, I, oh, go ahead. Sorry, I was going to say I, I just that's not me. I, I'm not a, I, 
I'm not a character. I'm not a, I'm not a, a shock value thing. I just, yeah. like I said, going back to, you know, it's cheaper than therapy. I like to go out there and tell my fans, tell my funny perspective, my interesting perspective and see if other people like it. And if they don't like it, guess what? I'm going to lean into it even more until they understand why it's funny. Sure. I remember when, uh, when Larry, the cable guy first started coming around, he used to call into a radio station, WHEB. And this was before he was, this is like 2000, 2001, maybe even a year or two before that. And he would call in and he was like calling into a couple of small area, but he was a nobody like Larry, the cable guy was not known. And he just built his name by calling into radio morning radio stations, doing his shtick and building up his persona. So he definitely put the, uh, he put the miles in. Are you a new England native? Are you from this area? Where'd you grow up? Born and raised. I was uh, born and raised in North shore, Massachusetts. Okay. And, um, Recently moved to New Hampshire. Um, you know, I moved across the border so I could avoid taxes. Sure. And um, I, you know, I, I love every minute of New Hampshire. But uh, I grew up on, on the East Coast. I've been here my entire life. I've traveled the entire world. But I gotta tell you, there's no place greater than New England. Um, Agreed. I've been I've I've been a lot of places, and uh, I, every time I come home, I'm like, oh, this is why I live here. It's it's amazing. It's yeah. amazing. The people are great. The, the 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 food is great. The schools are great. The education is great. The people are great. It's just it's such a, and I mean, let's face it, but you know, we have the mountains, we have skiing, we have the ocean, we have lakes. What can't you get out of new England? Right. And if you can't get it here, uh, and you want to go someplace like in the winter, well, you can't get heat in the winter, but you can be in Logan or Manchester in under an hour and you can be anywhere you want to be. It, it's truly the best place to, uh, best place to live. Do you remember the first movie that you saw when you were younger that made you realize, okay, I get it. I understand. That's funny, and I understand why. Because sometimes when you're watching movies and you're kids, like you see people, older people, your parents, your relatives, older siblings, whoever, laughing, and yeah. then you're like, okay, that's funny, but I don't, I don't get why that's funny. But then all of a sudden, there's that one moment where you're like, okay, I'm in on the joke. Like I see it, I understand it. Was there a movie that kind of, you know, clicked your sense of humor on to the point where you started understanding stuff? So, I, I mean, I got two part answer to this one, if that's all right. Yeah, yeah. Take as many parts as you want. Sure. Perfect. So, uh, so I mean, obviously, younger, you know, liking kind of that 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 slapsticky type comedy. Like, you know, you you look at Billy Madison. Billy Madison's in my my books a movie I could watch a million times. I could quote a million times. I use it to try and pick up women. It never works, but who cares? Um, but later in life, I think I Heart Huckabees was probably the movie that really did it for me. Wow. Um, it was, it was a dark comedy. Yeah. It was twisted and like just the, the subcontext of it in the commentary, the social commentary of, of the script. And that for me is what really clicked comedy for me of, wait a second, there's a different perspective and it's, it's right under the surface. And if you can get right under the surface and, and convey that, that's funny because everybody's experiencing that, Yeah, but nobody's talking about it. I love that answer, and I got to tell you, if I had, first of all, I love that movie. I've probably seen it like fifteen times. Marky Mark's in it; did a great job. Great cast, uh, great story about existentialism. It's just an amazing movie. But if I had listed a hundred movies that you were going to pick to answer that question, I Heart Huckabee's probably would not have been on that list. So I, I really appreciate that answer. And if you guys haven't seen the movie, go check it out. It's, it's worth the watch. It really is. It's amazing. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, okay. What is your dream location to perform in? If you could kind of wave uh, a magic comedy wand 
and get booked or have one of your stable of up-and-coming comedians get booked at a location anywhere, uh, where would it be? Oh, geez, that's a, that's a loaded question right there. Um, I mean, it's funny because most people, you know, they're going to talk stadiums, they're going to talk, you know, Fenway, Garden, all that stuff. But sure. I, I think the smaller theater venues that are 1,500, 2,000 people, um, like, I mean, selfishly where I am right now, like I, the Portsmouth Music Hall would be an amazing place to go because that would be kind of cutting my chops on things. Um, Great, I'm in the though. process of, of trying to work with um, UNH and, and start getting some shows going at the WIT. Um, I need to work some things out there, but I think the wit would be great. I'd love to do some college comedy scenes. Yeah. Like I think that would be phenomenal because you got a great crowd. You got people that are easygoing, that are open-minded. Yep. Um, so I think for me right now, um, I, I'd probably look towards like, probably like the Whitmore would be, I think an ideal thing. It's a 5,000 person room. Yep. A great little venue, college town. It's local. So I can support the local comedians. Um, that's that's probably where I'd want to go. I mean, obviously, you know, talking about the Cabot would be great too, or yep. you know, the Wilbur in Boston would be fantastic. I mean, I'm not I'm not picky about where I want to go, but I I want to do something that's impactful. Like I, I want people to leave a show, whether it's me or someone or a show that I'm producing, leave the show and say, you know what, that was a great time. I thoroughly enjoyed myself. I want to do that again. Yeah, that's cool. And I think college kids are you're going to find a lot of that, you know there so the music hall an amazing room to see almost anything music sounds great in there musicals are great in there comedians are good in there have you been to the music hall loft no so it's basically it's kind of like across the street up towards like jimmy's um okay and it's right next door and i'll tell you what that is an amazing room it's smaller there's probably like 150 200 people capacity and it's nowhere near the acoustic brilliance of the music hall um and obviously not the history but it's brand new it's got an amazing bar it's really really cool so uh, if you ever get a moment to check out any show there i highly recommend it so uh this is going to be a tough question right up front so i'm going to apologize um Let's bring it. Okay, here we go. Send it. So you are magically in charge of redoing Mount Rushmore. You've been given that authority. But here's the only catch. You're going to take down the faces of the four presidents, and in their place, you are going to put four faces of comedians. Now, they don't have to be stand-up comedians. They can be comedians in any shape or form, sketch, improv, whatever you want. What is your Mount Rushmore of comedy? My Mount Rushmore of comedy, geez. Oh wow, where would I put this? Ah, that is a tough question. I mean, obviously, you know, you got to put up, you got to put up Bill Burr. Um, I think he's just kind of calling it as it is right now. Um, It just he's putting it out there. Um, I mean, I do like. Oh, geez. I mean, I have to put Adam Sandler up there only because he, you know, he's sure. he's been an inspiration to me my entire life, and I think he's he's just he's phenomenal. Um, I think Sarah Silverman too needs to go up there. I think we need to have some female representation, and like she's absolutely hilarious. Um, dirty as dirty can be, but man, can she deliver a joke? And this last one, this one, this one's going to be a curveball. I know it, but I'd probably put Conan up there. Oh my goodness, I like that choice, right? Plus- like. 
Like, I mean, that's a curveball, but I think what he's doing out there, he's clean, he's funny, he's obscure. He just kind of, he just, he's an all around, well rounded comedian, in my opinion. Yeah. No. And he's absolutely, when it comes to like, people overuse the word genius, right? And then if you say genius of something, genius of comedy, but he truly is a genius of comedy. Like, you can put him in any situation, whether it's in front of an audience for his talk show, sitting down interviewing somebody being proud of, you know, part of the Harvard Lampoon, like anything he's ever done, he's excelled at. And, and I, yeah. I like that choice. Um, Sarah Silverman, did you ever, it was, it was only on for a short period of time. I think it was one season and it was probably like 15 years ago, 12 years ago, maybe longer, but she had a show on comedy central. It's called the Sarah Silverman show. Did you ever see that? Oh my God. Oh my God. It was amazing. Right. She's Wasn't such a great job. So and I mean, I, I get why she got canceled. I don't agree with it, but I get it. Right. Like, I mean, let's face it, that was the beginning of the cancel culture. She just was saying stuff that producers weren't comfortable hearing, but people loved. And yeah. that's a challenge. That's a challenge for, especially when you're doing cable TV. You know, you got you to gotta appease the masses and be, you know, what, what is George Carlin, the, uh, the seven words you're not supposed to say on TV? Let's right. face it, that's how we know. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. Um, all right. So, uh, that was an A plus answer to a tough question. So you're obviously, you are heavily involved in comedy, but how many UFOs have you seen? You know, actually I haven't seen any, any confirmed UFOs, but I know they're out there. I mean, it'd be arrogant okay. for us to think that they're not. And, uh, you know, my, my only question, this is going to come off as conspiracy theory, which, you know, I'm, I'm, I enjoy it, but I like listen, I'm not totally buying in, but you know, my question is, you know, is it a weather balloon or is it really a UFO? Who knows? Who does know? I, I don't. I, I'm yeah, really, I'm, I'm, a, I mean, I was just gonna say, I'm assuming the U.S. government has something that can go back and forth, up and down and do all the funny stuff. Because let's face it, they probably reverse engineered it from a crash back in Roswell. Right. I dig it. And, and by the way, for someone who's not trying to state a conspiracy theory, You've done exactly that. So I, I also want to point out that uh, I always ask, I try to ask that question as much as I can because I'm a firm believer and I hadn't seen one until two years ago. And I saw one, my sister was right next to me. We we're in York, Maine. And I'm pretty much convinced that what I saw, it was definitely not a plane. It was nothing that people would recognize. And you could tell it kind of had this like cloaking mechanism that it kind of, it blended in. And I've since okay. learned, and it's that's actual technology that takes what's behind it and and projects it forward. But I'm pretty sure what I was looking at was a super advanced military craft that we fully are aware of. No one knows we have. We've never disclosed it. And I think a lot of these things that we're seeing, the Tic Tac videos and all these, yeah, they might be from another dimension. They might be from another planet, possibly. I think they're from the DARPA lab and our defense budget, and they're just being kept under wraps until they absolutely have to be shown. But who knows? I mean, with the amount of taxes that they're taking from me, I hope to God it is. Right. Come up with something good, right? I, 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 hope, I hope they're coming up with a UFO. I hope they are. Um, okay. What is the most aggressive sounding language? Oh, German. Hands down. Right. Easy. A close second will be Russian, but I think German is without question. It's hard to make German sound soft and romantic, right? There's no way. Uh, yeah, and I mean, let's face it, English is not far off. Sorry, American English is not far off. <laughs> I agree. So I asked, I used to have a really good friend from Spain, and I asked them, you know, 
what is, what do Americans like? What's the stereotype for Americans? Like, what do they sound like to everybody else? And hit the best he could do was like, da, 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 da. like all of our all of our words are kind of like rounded, <laughs> flat. There's no real like you think of a romance language like Italian or Spanish or you know it's like they've got these tight syllables and tight consonants and very particular pronunciations and all of our words kind of like blend together and it's just like kind of you know one big word you know there's no real uh, inflection and uh, I, I didn't disagree with his assessment um, so you can go on to one game show okay Stefan you can go to one game show which one do you go on. Oh my! Um, I, I think, I mean, I've always wanted to be on The Price is Right. Who are we kidding? Like right. that to me is just like that's the the quintessential, you know. Ameri- and I know they're going to say America's game is Wheel of Fortune, but I think The Price is Right. And I think Drew Carey's done a phenomenal job taking the role of Bob Barker, and uh, he's, I mean, he's aged immensely. But I think you know you got to do that. That's the crowd. Yep. Agree. There's a great Netflix documentary about The Price is Right, uh, about this guy who way back in the 70s kind of figured out, like he built this amazing computer program that had every price, so he memorized it all, and he went on. Got to go check it out. I'm not going to try to ruin it for you here, but go check out the Netflix documentary. So we are down to our last two questions. The the second one, the last question going to be the easiest one i ask all, right. all night all right all right but this and this last one is it, it's it's less of a direct question and more of just like don't you think so uh many people have said that prostitution right is the world's oldest profession but if you really think about it if you if you go back all the way to caveman time i think you could make a, a, a very strong case that comedian was probably before prostitution. Because if you think about it, cavemen, right? Like, let's say that there was, like, the biggest, strongest cavemen that would get all the meat. But then there was that one caveman guy that maybe wasn't the fastest, maybe wasn't the best hunter, but he made these goofy faces, and he could make the strongest guy laugh. You know that that guy had a place at the fire with the best steak, with the best whatever they're drinking. Um, and, And I think that... I like to believe that the oldest profession is in fact comedian. And I wanted to get your thoughts on that. I mean, I, I never thought about it that way, but it makes a lot of sense. Cause let's face it, you know, it's, there's always going to be that one guy that, you know, like you said, he's not the fastest, he's not the strongest, but he's going to make people laugh. He's always invited to the table. That's it. And let's face it. What, what better way to find a maid by make, than making them laugh? Well, there you go. That's another thing too, right? So you kind of bypass the whole need for one. All right. So we're at the yeah. last question. You've been a great, great guest. If you could see the, the studio audience here, you'd be so proud. They're, they're on their feet. They're, um, they're looking forward to the, the Seacoast Comedy Festival. So with all that in mind, where can people learn more about Garaputo? Where can me, is there social media? Is there a website? Where do they go to get updates on your cadre of up-and-coming comedians? I think you do a lot of work with the Stone Church. Is that correct? Like, Tell people where they can find yeah, you. Absolutely. So um, I run a monthly show at the Stone Church. It's the first Thursday of every month. Our next show is June 1st. We are Mark Scalia headlining. Um, I'm super excited about it. It's a kickoff for the whole Seacoast Comedy Fest. Um, I'm, I'm at Gary Puto Comedy on Instagram and Facebook. I'm terrible with social media because I'm old, and I just don't understand why we have to live in a virtual world these days. Fair. Um, but you can find me on Gary Puto Comedy. It's where I post all my updates. Um, check us out at the SeacoastComedyFest.com. Um, and, you know, more to come. We, uh, there's a website in development. There's 
the whole program being put in place and and i'm excited i'm excited to kind of to kind of you know make my presence known and i've been i've been slow playing a lot of it but for for right reasons i hope yeah no that's awesome uh guys go check them out uh there's nothing better than laughter uh laughing uh, makes you feel better laughing brings up all your endorphins it heightens your vibration so that you're more attuned with the universal mind there's nothing ever bad about laughing and what better way to laugh than to watch somebody live telling you jokes. They're up there guys. They've written this material. They've crafted it over years. They deserve your time. Go check out uh, the Seacoast comedy festival. Go check them out in every venue they're going to be at, whether it's the stone church or in Portsmouth or in Dover everywhere, go to the website, go support your local comedians uh, thank you so much for being on the show. We really appreciate having you on. And I'm looking forward to checking out uh, all the different venues when the uh, when the festival starts. Uh, and I wish you the best of luck, man. Thank you so much again for, for coming on the show. I really appreciate the time, Ethan. And, uh, you know, I couldn't have said it better myself. Uh, let's let's keep laughter alive and, and support your local communities, guys. Whether it's, whether it's comedy or not, it's all about supporting local communities and local artists. There you go. Well said. All right, man. Thanks again. Have a great night. All right. You as well. Thanks, Ethan.